What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 16 of What's That Sound podcast. My name's Stu Watts, and today I talked with Sam Swain, who is a Melbourne-based rock and pop producer, engineer, and musician. Uh, Today, we talked a lot about the ins and outs of working with a band as a producer, how to get in a great creative flow state with artists, as well as an extensive chat about his mix process. So for all that and more, stay tuned to this episode of What's That Sound podcast. You're listening to What's That Sound with your host, Stu Watts. going on everyone welcome to another episode of what's that sound my name's Stu Watts, and today i am here with sam swain sam Hello. welcome to the podcast hey thanks so much for having me Stu. so happy to be here nah you're very welcome and same goes glad to have you here um tell us a bit about yourself man like let's kick it up with uh what you do in the music industry and uh how long you've been doing it for etc okay cool um, well, these days I work as a music producer and a mix engineer and sometimes live musician. Um, and I've been doing different types of music, bits and bobs, pretty much, pretty much straight out of high school, which for me sort of professionally is since like 2011, 12. Um, and yeah, these days I have a studio in Collingwood that I sort of co-run with a small label called Sunset Pig. Yep. And I, I actually pretty much work out of there exclusively, not as any sort of hard and fast rule, but it's just so familiar and it's what I know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, there's actually uh, the first year that I only, have a, I only have played one gig for the whole year, which is really unusual for me. <laughs> but uh, the people I tend to play with, uh, they all went off and did cool overseas things, which was awesome for them. So, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yep. all doing things. Yeah, but nice. yeah, so yeah, that's about yeah. it, really. No, nah, good stuff. And um, let's take it back to where music first came into your life. Tell mm-hmm. us about your your childhood with music. Was it a, was it a big part of your life back then? Well, uh, it was funny. Like preparing for this, I re-listened to a couple of the podcasts. Yeah, and I think I'm pretty late to the music game, actually, in terms of that. <clears throat> Both of my parents are not very musical. My dad works in science. And my mum is in like uh, public service. And so I didn't even play, I began playing drums in year eight uh, with no real (laughs) music, anything before then. No church, no like sort of nothing that was like even sort of uh, auxiliary music. It was really like when I started playing drums, I was like, oh, you can play music. Yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of funny. Um, And and it was also like I played, started playing soccer at the same time. It was literally just sort of like, oh, I need some hobbies that, that aren't video games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so it starts with drums for me in year eight and then pretty quickly, the pretty classic thing. I did do drums all the way through high school, but the classic thing where I was like, oh, you can't really write a song on a drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> so I started uh, teaching myself guitar like right after pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I only ever did one guitar lesson, learned the pentatonic, minor pentatonic. And I was like, I think I got it from here. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, so yeah, that's, that's sort of my musical origins. What sort of tunes were you listening to back then? Definitely the biggest one that stands out in my mind is Nirvana. I think, I think that when I started playing drums, Oh, I actually, by the, yeah, when I started playing drums, I'd already bought um, the first, uh, second Gorillaz album, Demon Days, and that mm-hmm. did blow my mind. And that was, on reflection, it's a very production-y kind of record to have as yeah. a first album. So it makes yeah. sense that I was so into the sounds. But at the time, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. And um, But then, yeah, I remember my drum teacher, we, we learned uh, Come As You Are, and I was like, oh, this is pretty nifty. And then I just sort of deep dived, and I and I loved it. Really resonated, which is interesting, even in year eight, which not like I was um, being told I couldn't play music by anyone. But I just loved the Kurt Cobain kind of ethic of like just DIY, just give it a crack. Like don't feel like you can't teach yourself. Like which is mm. also cool as well. Like I'm impressed <laughs> by my younger self that I was like, oh well, I could teach myself guitar. How hard could it be? And it was just yeah. from people like the Kurt Cobain types there, just being like, oh, who cares? Just 
you know, yeah, especially absolutely. once you get power cords and uh, bar well, cords happening. I think um, it's it's crazy. Like I grew up on punk rock as well. It's like. Um, I mean, for me, it was like the hard and fast stuff like Pennywise and no effects and just really intense. And it was just like, it was, and and yeah, like back then, I'm guessing we're of similar ages. I'm 35. I don't know how old you are. Yeah, a little bit. um, Yeah. So like I, it was like, just chuck some guitars in, in the room, play some drums and just have fun. It wasn't like you weren't thinking about even songwriting you you were but Definitely. like it was it was yeah. a lot of covers and it was a lot of just like 100%. just having fun <laughs> with mates and just turn it up as loud as you can play as fast as you can <laughs> there wasn't yeah. any thought of production or anything like that back then oh absolutely i mean i think um i think uh, i've had a i feel like uh, appreciating the craft of songwriting came way later for me <laughs> mm. i was that classic band dude where i was like um I was just, uh, yeah, like you say, the vibe. And also and also in guitar as well, but I was going to say drums. I did really like the physical nature of it. I think, um, you know, as a young person, you're usually getting a bit angsty around those ages and uh, there's a nice release to it as well. Yeah. And I still feel these days that, like, I know I'm biased towards something that has a sort of physical quality to it and I like the idea of drums being hit pretty hard and usually like on top of the beat and like all pretty, you know, rock punk input stuff, which sometimes I need to like ease off on if it's not appropriate. But I know that when I hear that kind of very physical sound, I'm like, oh yeah, that's what it like. Yeah. That feels good. Yeah. 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 Very emotional responses is yeah. Yeah. That's way to put to, it. And yeah. to the playing, which, and I love good songwriting these days, but definitely at the start, I was like the, um, I always, I wasn't so bad that I didn't listen to lyrics, but I was definitely like, if I can't feel the passion in the performance uh, of the music, if I don't hear that, I'm totally switched off straight away. Mm, so, yeah. and now I'm better with that. Like, cause now, you know, I don't mind hearing a synthesizer that might be a little harder to get like some humanness into it, mm. but that was definitely my bias at the start. It needed to have a lot of passion and otherwise I was like, well, why even play if you're not going to hit it hard? <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was similar. I, I'm, I'm not as much lyric-based, you know, producer as as a lot of people are. I'm, I'm definitely more start with the music and get that right as well. And for me growing up, yeah, like I said, like, and then it moved into hardcore and stuff later in – later in my high school years and it was always just about yeah. like passion and aggression and and just doing things as like as intense as you could and yeah I think definitely. I think that definitely like sticks out still to to the music that I make as well yeah, um, yeah. tell me about moving on into like when you started to appreciate production and mixing and all that sort of thing where did that sort of come into play well, I'll just have a little think for a sec because I definitely, I remember appreciating, which I think most young people do, that, you know, albums have different sounds and stuff. And, again, I think I, like, looking back, I probably had a bias for the things like we just said, which is, like, big drums and stuff like that. But I don't really remember. I do know that somehow by the end of high school, I knew that the concept of a producer was a cool thing. <laughs> so who who yeah. was I inspired by? I wonder. I think I think it must have been Radiohead. I I reckon it was Radiohead. Now that I think about it, I remember a lot of Year Eleven and Twelve Walks listening to Radiohead albums, and then probably yeah, start and actually um, the other big thing that happened around when I was finishing high school, they did the From the Basement series of Radiohead, which yeah. that was really interesting. And on reflection, I realized. That sort of it was already now. Uh, that was I think I watched the In Rainbows one, yeah, which is already already an album I loved. But then they sort of revealed the tricks because they were like using different instruments for different songs, and you saw Johnny Greenwood doing weird guitar stuff or whatever. And I think it was a really visual like representation of like, oh, this is how you get these crazy cool sounds. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I think it was probably that kind of world. Even though I still don't think I knew more than like three producers <laughs> yeah <point>. yep <laughs> yep and so like then moving moving on to like when you really started to deep dive into it who were the people that you were like looking at and listening to did did your music kind of influences change as you started to learn things or yeah that's a good question um 
Yeah. Well, actually, the other thing that happened in year 12 was I did get crazy on the Beatles. I went really, really mm, deep on the Beatles. It. Yep. And I think actually I was always pretty into history of music and like, yeah, actually, as soon as I started playing, I would love the Wikipedia deep dives and learning mm. what influenced which band and whether. And so I think actually what I did is I, when I finally clicked with the Beatles, which took a long time because the Beatles were around me, even though I said before there wasn't that much music growing up. Uh, when I finally clicked, I was like on the journey with them, which is how I love to listen to artists now. It's like try and absorb the first album so that you can understand, well, oh, the second album, they're going for this. And so, and the Beatles are a great band to do that with because they literally just invent half the tricks along the way. And also their sort of budget and time for each uh, album really grows. And it's so fascinating mm-hmm. to see their creativity, creativity unleashed. And then around the similar time as well, I was big on Queens of the Stone Age as a lot of cats like uh, like mm-hmm. us probably were. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and so was, I really liked... Um, Songs for the Deaf as well, which was Eric Valentine. And yeah. so that I sort of started getting pretty obsessed with him and trying to yeah. steal yeah. all his tricks. <laughs> yeah, man. So, so those are some of the big ones, I'd say. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And I love that, that you mentioned that, um, that the way that you listen to music from like discovering their early stuff and, and listening through to the later stuff. Because I think... I, I like these days, not so much, but obvious, but obviously when you're younger, um, you know, you have a lot more time on your hands and you, and you have Definitely. time to really look into and deep dive into discover music. And I think I really did enjoy also like, f- like hearing the back cut back catalog and seeing where they came from, not like it's a conscious thing, but it was just a discovery, um, type mm-hmm. deal. And, and yeah, and you can really hear like the, the, the low budget stuff, shows to me a lot more, um, I don't know, passion and like, like, cause when you're first starting in a band, you, you, you really just go with all of your influences. You don't necessarily have your own voice. So it's like, you can hear where people really have come from with their earlier stuff. And then they start to discover what their sound is and, and then approach that in their own ways from, you know, the third or fourth album onwards. So super fascinating. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Eric Valentine, um, one of my favorites don't necessarily love his mixing, but his approach to, to recording and music and stuff is just like the goat, like, definitely. yeah, man. yeah. I love his, um, <clears throat> and he's just so committed. I love how, uh, yeah, whenever you go on a deep dive on Eric Valentine, you'll figure out that he's like, yeah, I spent three hours tuning my floor tom. So I'm like, but it's awesome. It gets great yeah, results. Man. And it's nice when you have your own studio. So it's like a different yeah, story as well, yeah, which yeah. Um, tell me about like how you got started in the early days of your work. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I did do a course. I studied at SAE. Um, and yeah, I had a good time there. And um, so when I was there, I was lucky enough pretty early on that a friend's mum got me a gig at Monash University. So I was working doing sort of like live event sound there for them. Mm-hmm. And that was really good. I, I reckon anyone on the younger side, those jobs sound annoying, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're really good for fundamentals. Like I, uh yeah and also speed like you have to be quick so really value that time but when i was in uni i was the guy who would use as much studio time as i could but also hassle the lecturers to try and get them to let me work Mm -hmm. as assistants for them and so that's what i did do which was really cool um and yeah so i did a bit of assisting for alex markwell at the start he's like a guitarist in delta rigs that was pretty that really blew my mind and then, um, uh, and I actually did a bit of classical recording around that time as well, which was also really good mm. for, you know, broadening skill set. But eventually Absolutely. all these little jobs led to, uh, I was lucky enough to assist at Sing Sing for quite a while and did that whole thing. And, uh, and then while that was happening, slowly getting my own studio space and building up yeah. my own sort of situation. But yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about those experiences, like learning off other people and, you know, being immersed in the studio world, not necessarily of styles of music that you potentially like loved, but mm-hmm. really like broadening your, yeah, your musical horizons, like you said. And and tell us a bit about that. What was that like? Yeah. Well, um, 
Yeah, it's a good point. I just got to sort of think a little bit about it. Like when I first did some work with Alex Markwell, I was like, uh, I was really green then. Like I actually don't know if I'd really been in a proper studio yet. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like mind-blowing. It was so awesome. And, um, And, you know, those experiences are just like, I think just like how when we were talking about when you're absorbing a band and you're absorbing their sort of raw interactions, I feel like that's learning how a band um, psychologically exists as a unit. Right. And then yep. these early experiences is really good to absorb, like how does a studio sort of function in, in real life? Like what are the sort of the hierarchies, sort of who, um, you know, what's controversial to bring up, what's not controversial, mm-hmm. how much, how prepared are bands and stuff like that. So I think a lot of that at the start, like just getting to know, you know, and I, and I did also have that goal from the start, I knew that I did want to try to work at a bigger studio. So mm-hmm. it was valuable as well just to be like, cool, this is sort of like training for assisting more professionally. Where do I fit? Do I, when do I speak mm-hmm. up? When do I not? When do I mm-hmm. just do stuff in the background? How much do I chat to the band or am I annoying them? <laughs> yeah. So that kind of thing um, was really good. And like, you know, in the classical world, you get a really fun experience as well because classical musos are usually pretty, um, you know, they might be even more precious. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's exciting. You're like thinking about things like air conditioner fucking settings is important to them yeah. and stuff like that. But it's good to appreciate that. And actually the classical world's good because they don't hide behind anything. Like they literally have to just bring it with their instruments. So making them really comfortable is a super high priority, which is always important for an artist, but that was probably a good experience as well. I love that. That's so cool. Mm. So cool. And I think, um, yeah, like the, the personality things are like some of the most important, um, parts of being a producer is even completely irrelevant to the music. It's like, it's personalities and how you deal with people and how you talk to people, how you set up what you're going to do for the day. Like all that stuff's got nothing to do with music, Mm, but it's super important because if you have a really like bad interaction with any of the band members that you're working with or, you know, whatever, or or their managers or something like that, any of those little things that happen, you're going to ruin your, um, your name potentially and just give them a bad experience, which will lead (laughs) to a shitty, shitty song. Like it will at the end of the day, if someone's uncomfortable, they're not going to perform very well. So, Definitely. so good, man. I love it. Um, talk to me a bit about your like recording process now. What what does that look like? Is it the same every time? Is it different for different artists? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I think it is pretty similar. I think in my mind, actually, I probably think of it as they're like uh, as a process or like when I've already worked with someone, that's sort of one thing. And then the very first time with someone is a different thing. And I've already worked with someone, you know, it's a lot more um, simple. They sort of they sort of know by that point that um, that I'm kind of really open to receiving any form of demo. So it could be mm. like really simple, just the guitar and voice or whatever. Or it could be something that they actually cook up on their own computer and they try and make it sound half good or whatever. And we just mm. go back and forth. With newer artists, it's a bit more um, involved and we like it's good to have conversations. It's good to... Um, yeah, always have to, or you know, yeah, usually have a catch up beforehand. Usually try and meet all the band members beforehand if you can, at the very least. Like, obviously, there's pre production stuff like that, which is good when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, it just reminded me of a funny question that I think is an Eric Valentine uh, trick, but uh, I always liked that he said he asked the question, Is there any, <clears throat> any music that you hate? <clears throat> Not that I think people should hate music, but to know where your artist definitely doesn't want to go is very mm-hmm. valuable. <laughs> so I do try and find that out pretty soon. Then yeah. you know you're not gonna you're not gonna try and reinvent a band like, oh this band would sound way better with like, you know, <laughs> electric drums and they go, We hate electric drums. Yeah. You know, that moment. <laughs> so yeah. that could be fun. That's cool. But yeah. I love that. I love that. Now your music, I've <clears> been <throat> listening to it um all this morning and you know um The thing that I really appreciate about your music is how like restrained it sounds and that might sound critical, but I mean in a really, (laughs) in a positive way, the, the, the lo-fi aspect, the, um, the kind of the, the noise that 
a lot of producers would like to remove from their from mm. their music. I think you really like value that and sh- you know showcase it somewhat. And man, I I I, I want to know more about that because how hard could it be? Like you don't always work on really raw, punky, you know, raucous music. You do some you do some pop stuff as well. So so tell me a bit about that and how you can stay restrained and, and where did that come from as well? Okay, yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, it's funny like with you saying like even showcasing the noise or something like that, like that reminds me of when another thing I used to love to do with the Beatles is and you still can. You can often find on YouTube just like someone's uploaded just the drums or something like that mm-hmm. of a track. And I love like how often you can hear someone like talking in the background or George's mm. like acoustic tracks, he's mumbling, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I just so cool. always, always, always loved those little um, Easter eggs. And same, same also going back to Demon Days, like albums like that that are really layered. And if anything... I think a lot of my style originally started coming from, I was always, and I've grown from this, but at the start I was like, there should just be heaps of layers, every song heaps of layers. And so now I'm a little bit more like, okay, sometimes that's not needed. But I think to just kind of try and fit all those layers in, uh, if you actually do want to be able to hear the different layers, they all need to have a lot of personality as well. So I think I was never shy of like, uh, yeah, putting a lot of character on a on a track or on a whatever so that, you know, if you've got a lot of guitar parts and guitars need to sound very different or if you want people to, if you want this random sound to cut, it needs to have a very unique frequency response for the song or whatever like that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Is that like what when, you meant by restraint? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, I think – I mean, like a, a thing, all of the elements having a space that they mm. sit in. Mm. Um, and so, you know, obviously when you have loud guitars, they're loud. Like yes. I've yeah. noticed that as well. Like the, the guitars are really just like there. They're louder than a lot <coughs> of the vocals, the drums. The drums kind of sit in the back for a lot of like the heavier stuff, which yes. you, you don't always see. So, yeah, where did, where did that all come from? Where, that's, did, where that's was that a, influence from? Cheers, man. Yeah, that's an interesting insight. Definitely um, – in the sophisticated dingo world, we definitely push the envelope with that. Um, well, I remember, I have a vivid memory. Actually, this isn't another uni memory. I think my friend Dave Turner, who was a lecturer then, um, we were talking about Motown albums and how shockingly quiet the drums are sometimes. And that mm-hmm. sometimes is because, you know, they're in a room and it's just in the back of the room or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember we had this great chat about how it still had impact and it was really interesting to sort of, to yeah, just to try and get our brains around like how could you have impact and not have loud drums? <laughs> and the yeah. other thing is, I think at the start I probably mixed drums way too loud, so I think I slowly was like challenging myself to do to do less of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I I I don't know. I think I think it probably comes back to that band thing as well. Sometimes like. I like I when I do play guitar in bands, I often turn the guitar too loud. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. It's just like, but that sort of feeling and wall of soundy kind of feeling as well. I like that, and I, and I also love in a mix. I try and put like high contrast between different elements, like you said. Like so, you got mm-hmm. all the spaces, but also between different sections. So I'm always tempted to uh, make the jump from the pre to the chorus or whatever. Like pretty ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's great, man. It's great. Um, Tell me about like, you know, um, working with different artists, what are some of the difficulties that you think that you face in sessions? Um, are there commonalities or is it kind of different for every band? Um, that's a good question. You know, there are, there are definitely like the cliche things. Um, I think your singer being confident really helps and your drummer being confident really helps. I think if, Mm -hmm. Uh, personally, if I'm going into a session with an artist and they've got a great drummer and or great singer, I'm way more at ease. Cause I know that like, I feel like it's a lot easier for me to coach the rest through, but, mm. um, based firstly, if you don't have a great drummer, you're going to, it's, you need to have great drums. So you're going to have to put a lot of work in to get that foundation solid. And if you don't have a confident vocalist, it's just you, I feel like you do end up spending more time coaching and also just sort of like 
almost just like kind of like getting through the session. Like you still might get great mm-hmm. results, but I feel like great vocal sessions are when it's more like I'm biased to guitar again, but when it feels like it's more like um, guitar where anything, they're just sort of up for anything and they'll just try stuff and mm-hmm. like, oh, let's crack a harmony, just go, you know. And then you can get really creative and the and the flow of the vocal session would be really fun. But when you have vocal sessions where the singer is a little bit more like, oh, I don't even trust myself to hit these notes. Even if they can, it can mean that you, you know, I just can picture always my notebook becomes very technical when I'm like trying to write pitch things instead of like vibe, great, big tick. You know, that's what I want to write on a vocal tape. And then I'm just like, sweet. We're like, you know, Uh, so, you know, but that's cool. But I think you can get around that where hopefully your singer's rehearsed a bit. Hopefully um, uh, you should definitely do vocal warm-ups, all that sort of stuff really, really helps. I have mm. some tea around or whatever gets, you know, the juices flowing. But, uh, yeah, I think that those are probably – they're probably the two big anchors, I think, because I think even – even I mean, I'm also – I'm mostly a bass player these days, so I'm pretty strict on bass. But with guitar and other things, like even if it's a bit more um, – if it's a more of a humble player, that can actually be a great sound and it can also push you towards – not overthinking things and just going for a simple win. So that doesn't stress me out as much. But, yeah, when you got a singer or a drummer, you know, if a drummer that wants it to be to click but they're not great to click or something, that can be challenging for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the point that you made about the flow state because you're right, when you when you have to do a lot of coaching or you have to navigate, you know, uh, arguments in the studio or, or things like that, people disagreeing on stuff. It becomes less about the music, even if they are arguing about the music, it becomes less about that and more about like, okay, how do I navigate this? How do I work around yeah. it? How do I try and get the best out of people? And mm. yeah, you, like you said, when people just trust each other and, and they, they're confident, confidence is a huge thing. Um, you know, when they're confident, when they trust each other, when they trust you as a producer, it just means that mm. you're just kind of trying more stuff out and trying to get the best Definitely. possible product. And yeah, if someone is kind of argumentative or something like that, or they, like you said, usually comes from a lack of confidence, then it's, it just becomes a little bit harder to actually get the results. And, For sure. you know, at the end of the day, you probably still, if, you know, You'll get there. You will yeah, get you, there. You will get there, but it's yeah. just going to be a little bit harder and potentially take a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. What um, what are some of your favorite kind of times that you've had in the studio? When you think back and you're like, that was amazing. I've walked out of that session being like, that was so sick. That was the best session I've ever had. What what What's that? Is there like things that you can point out that you remember that you loved or? Definitely. You know, um, well, the I've reckoned probably the biggest highlight of when I was assisting at Sing Sing, which is like a nice studio in Melbourne, if anyone doesn't know. Uh, I was really lucky to assist, and I actually, uh, oh, it's called Dragonfly, an album by Casey Chambers. Mm. Pretty sure it's called Dragonfly. And Paul Kelly was producing, and Stephen Schramm was engineering, and then it was Casey Chambers with like a red-hot band. And I was just sitting in there in the old knee room as the assistant be like, whoa, this is like elite, elite stuff. And I remember like uh, Shram came in and he wanted to use certain plugins, which weren't even quite that controversial, but Sing Sing had like these older computers. So we we're stressing trying to get the plugins going and just funny stuff like that. But once we got the, you know, once we got it going, I mean, that, that was one of those sessions where the skill level was so high of everyone that yeah. it was very, very smooth. And like, uh, Paul Kelly was spending most of the um, session in the live room with them, just sitting with headphones on, talking music, talking shop, just talking like, what if we put this bass note under this chord? And then Shram just running Pro Tools in the desk. And it was really cool. That was an awesome session. Wow. Um, and then like recording sessions, I remember like Rad Hammock, a band I've worked with heaps, heaps, a really, really late night crazy session trying to finish their song June which is one of their first bigger songs. And, um, mm-hmm. and that was, that was a bit of a flow state kind of situation where we were, which we always have done with that band. We're just going really deep and getting crazy and plugging the wrong thing into the wrong thing. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I've just, uh, um, you know, like I've got Jackson's acoustic with a like tape on pickup or something <laughs> going into a fuzz pedal, going into like a Supro amp that my friend Dave left there. And then that was like, 
I don't even remember if that is on the song, but I yeah, just remember yeah, yeah. that being just so distorted then you could talk into it and we put yeah. some of that talking into the song. But uh, yeah, that was a good moment as well for sure. Yeah, that's sick. And like what do you think contributes to like those those really good sessions where, you know, and it might be an, an everyday session that, you know, you might just be recording guitar the whole day or recording drums. Like what what about it do you think is is like enjoyable about being a producer these days? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I think um, going back to, again to the flow state concept, what I love about that is when, like when I get really excited is when someone suggests or tries something that surprises me and I'm like, uh, not to see that say that I can foresee everything, but when you get those moments, you're like, whoa, that shouldn't work and that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like it's also really nice when you've got a band member that feels empowered enough, like maybe they've come out of their shell a bit because you've worked together a couple of times and they suggest a really wacky idea and it's mm-hmm. actually really good. And you're like, yes, this is so awesome because I love, I do love in bands when you feel like you can get everyone's personality mm-hmm. sort of into the melting pot. Um, yep. and it's yep. not too much of like one person just running the shop. Um, so those things all excite me. Also great sounds is fun. Like trying mm-hmm. to challenge myself with sounds. If someone brings in an interesting, interesting instrument, but, yeah. um, yeah, all those kind of things, I think. Yeah. I think that's a really cool, cool point. And I, I also agree that like when, you know, people challenge you as a producer. It's some of the, like in a good way, not in like a, you're a dick way, <laughs> like in a good way, like where they're like, yeah. I, I want to achieve this. And it's not necessarily something that you've tried before. And you have to really use your brain and go, okay, I've, I, I've seen something mm, like yes. this before. Yes, yes. I'm going to give this a crack and see if it works. And yeah, you know, might, you might get a completely different result, but it, you know, that those sorts of creative processes with artists that, that really have a creative brain, they're not just there for you to be like, do everything. They're the ones that <laughs> <Yes>. like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Like they're like, you know, let's, uh, let's do this, blah, 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 whatever it might be. And you're like, cool, let's have fun here and try and, you know, like you said, just chuck stuff into the wrong pedals and, or use the incorrect plugins and see what comes out of it there yeah they're always super fun times yeah hey thanks so much for listening so far there is plenty more to come so don't go anywhere i just wanted to let you know that this podcast is made completely independently by myself with no sponsors so if you like what you hear and you would like to show your support you can send a donation to the paypal link paypal.me slash what's that sound the link is also in the show notes thanks so much for your support and let's get back to it all right, man. Well, tell me more about, you know, your percentage of kind of time division between production, recording, mixing. What what does that look like? Yeah, that's a fair question. Um, well, there's more mixing than there used to be. It, like uh, one funny side effect of lockdowns and stuff is, as a lot of us experienced, suddenly it was mm-hmm. harder to work. And so, yeah, I ended up doing heaps of mixing over the COVID years. I was pretty much just only produced i'd say probably like two eps worth a year Mm. um these days uh it's probably it's probably like 50 percent produce record do the whole thing 40 percent just mixing and then 10 percent like random jobs yeah yeah where i'm just doing the drums or just doing the whatever so maybe maybe something like that do you like the like production and stuff more getting in the rooms with people or do you prefer mixing? Uh, I actually love mixing these days. Mm. And that was another funny side effect of lockdown right up until lockdown. And again, Mm. not as a hard rule, but I was really into the idea of being a producer. And so um, I really worked on something that I didn't record. Like probably Mm. then it was probably like one in 20 things. Mm. Um, So I love mixing these days. Uh, I think I... I think if it's an artist I love, I love producing, which actually I usually only work with artists I love, so I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, that's true, sometimes yeah. mixing is the most fun. Like it can yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, these days I, if I'm on a roll with a mix, I'll easily mix for hours and it's not that you should be doing that as well for ear fatigue, but <laughs> uh, I find myself really getting easily lost in having fun in a mix. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. It's funny because it's like, yeah, I agree. The same thing happened to me with COVID, of course. Like, uh, so I, I don't work at my own studio. I work at Marshall Street Studios, which is a com- like 
commercial uh, recording studio. Um, yeah. And yeah, the same thing happened. I was only able to to work from home and the, the studios closed down. So yeah, so, same sort of thing. I wasn't able to do any production, wasn't able to do any songwriting with artists or anything like that. And there was a lot of mixing, but yeah, I think it's, it's funny because, um, you know, when you're in the studio with an artist, you're so focused on the song and, you know, I, th- I feel like, I don't know what, what it's like for you, but I feel like all of my time just disappears because it's like there's so mm-hmm. much intense, intense focus. You can't focus on yes. the outside world so much. You know, sure. the only time that you can do that is when you're having breaks and, and um, my time yeah, just definitely. disappears. But with, with mixing, it's, it's another thing where your head's in a screen and, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I'm so z- like zoned out when I get home to my wife and stuff. I'm like, I can't even like focus on the conversation that we're having. because My <laughs> brain's just gone. I don't know. It's, it's a funny thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, um, uh, I definitely notice as well, like easing off and doing as much production. Like when you're producing, I also definitely produce as it sounds like you do as well in quite a holistic sense. So I'm part of like mm-hmm. every single part of the thing so it's as you say it's very intensive and time intensive and it's a lot of hard work so that was another thing i've loved about mixing is you can it feels more like you're getting commissioned commissioned to do a painting or something like you can just kind of come in and do all your colors and then go out and then and then also the thing i love about mixing especially with something i didn't record i really like to mix with a lot of color like give them the sam swain version like i would be happy to release it as the first mix and then when they come back to feedback, like it's almost that's almost more like a um, tradesman or something where I'm like, oh yeah, no worries, I'm happy to change these things. Like I've already, it's so easy to define where I get really creative, and then when I be really like functional, where production mm-hmm. is also tricky like that because it's just a constant schmeary. You're doing all kinds of jobs, all kinds of hats, all kinds of levels of depth of how much you're telling them to change everything or change nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. It's a great way of putting it, man. I love that. Tell me about your your mixing process. What does that look like? Again, is it the same? Do you have like templates or is it different every time? Do you challenge yourself to like be creative with mixing and stuff like that too? These days I try and use templates a little bit more and that that was also from doing more mixing work. Um, it just became a reality. Very simple templates. Like I just have the, you know, like when I begin a mix on drums, like I've already got um, – you know, like my kick, it's not even a kick channel strip. I literally just have like 10 inactive plugins that I know I like on kick <laughs> and, mm. and they're, they are saved on pretty much all the plugins I use. I save them on the preset. They open with how I would use them the most. So yeah. I know when I activate that plugin, it'll pretty much instantly sound like how I want it to sound. Yeah. And I can go from there. So I do stuff like that to save time. That's awesome. I love um, that. I love that. But, uh, yeah, I do, uh, yeah, I guess I often do build from the drums up. I, I, it depends on if I record it or not. Again, a lot of I really, 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 really <laughs> am into having uh, any kind of mixing switcher where you can switch to the previous mix or a reference on a button as well. Like I know you could do it in software, but I like it when it's instant. And I really like to check the rough bounce or the artist bounce or whatever a lot because mm. it's really easy to go down the wormhole and think like, oh, this is definitely way better than it started. And then you yeah, check yeah. and you like get really humbled. Like even <laughs> yesterday I was finishing a mix at home and and I flicked to my rough mix. So I'm only battling myself. And I was like, mm. God damn it, this snare is better before. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like yeah, hours yeah. into the mix. Oh, and so then man. I just tweak things or, or sometimes I like to import the settings that I had on the snare and just look at them and be like, oh, okay, it's probably this. Um, so I'm big, big on that. And then I also, these days I try a lot harder, uh, even if it's um, it, sometimes I'll bounce just the vocal stem of my rough mix. And I just try and turn that on often. So even if I'm not up to the point where I'm trying to mix vocals properly yet, mm. just so you get the full vocal experience around, like just mm. keep that in your mind so that all the moves you're making are supporting the vocals and you're not like making some awesome drum sound that you realize like, oh, that is just going to squash the vocals and won't make any yeah. sense later. So I like to try and do that, which, you know, you, yeah, it requires a bit of discipline because it's always fun to listen to drums in solo, but trying not to solo too much is also a good thing. Yeah, it's fascinating you say that because it's like, yeah, you, you can really get stuck in the weeds there, but I, I, 
Yeah, it's it's funny when you have those moments of like, shit, I should have just kept it where it was. I liked it at the time. Why did I oh, keep it? Oh, yes, going? yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're like an hour later, you're like, shit. But um, yeah, man, I, I think that's 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 great. That's really good advice as well is to, you know, listen to things in context because mm. you never know when you're going too far with something and you can really blow out, um, you know, and ruin what the actual song is actually trying to be. Yeah, well, that's true um, as well, true, definitely mm. yeah you can it's, stamp all over the soul of the yeah, song you can and it's like at the end of the day you you need to support what the song is trying to be it's not about like oh, i've got to get the best drum sound on every single song because not every song yes needs that that's true amazingly blown out drum song drum sound or whatever yeah 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 so so do you have um you know favorite things that you like to work on in a mix um well, I mean, I love mixing drums. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I could easily, uh, yeah. Well, the, the what I went and grabbed is that, and this is something new to me. And it's, I think, this isn't too crazy, but it's a bit fun. I have this timer these days, Ooh. and so I got off Amazon. If you put it down, it just starts a timer for like thirty or sixty or whatever minutes. And I do sometimes use that when I'm mixing because I know that I literally could mix drums for an infinite amount of time. Yeah, and so I have yeah. a little time that goes off because I. You know, I once realized, or it's not that hard to realize this, but when you're just sort of doing the 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 numbers of the business of your mixing uh, mm. career, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I probably can't afford to spend this much time on drums yeah, on yeah. every track. So it can be, you know, I like that as a little uh, a little thing to just be like, and sometimes I just ignore it, and I'm like, yeah, I did just spend <laughs> an hour on that, I don't care. But like, you know, it's just good to. I feel like definitely with mixing more than anything, the time flows so easily for me that I will not keep track of it. So I do that. Yeah. But yeah, I love uh, love mixing drums. I love mixing bass as well. Um, these days, I kind of like. I do love mixing vocals as well, and I try. These days, I often sort of have my sessions set up that all non-vocal things go to an instrument bus eventually, and then the vocals are their own little world as well. So I do really like trying to polish the vocals and play, you know, just slick the vocals up really well. So I do like mixing vocals pretty um, pretty intrinsically, potentially, again, overkill. A good, um, a good, uh, a really good tidbit for vocals that I heard from Dean Tuza on uh, Instagram was to, again, not to solo while, or try not to solo too much while you're cleaning up vocals because yeah. I used to go crazy <laughs> being like, oh, I can hear clicks, I can hear math clicks, and you should get rid of them if they're bad. But yes, he just made yeah. the point, he was like, look, if you can't hear those little random noises when the track is actually on, like all the music's in, it's probably not going to kill your mix, especially things like BB yeah. stuff. So I try and do that a bit more these days where, yeah, but usually I very very um manually will like tweak up the edit on my lead vocal that i'm quite precious about but these days i'm a little bit more happy to either ignore background vocal stuff or just to use the isotope noise reduction stuff and just go Mm, yeah (laughs) yeah uh, uniformly yeah and it's funny you say that about like you know the attention to detail when you're first, well, not when you're first starting, but when you're, you know, a few years in and you have the realization that everything matters a lot. Um, and, you know, you can start to get too, too deep in the weeds, too deep in yep. into editing and cleaning things up. And um, I think it's funny, even the, the, my approach to mixing EQ and compression and stuff like that, it's very, very much these days, broad strokes based, you know, mm, you got to mm. do a little bit of cleanup and, um, you know, take out frequencies that you don't like, but only for me these days, only if it really annoys me because yeah. it's all character. Yeah, I like that. And when you yeah. when you mix in solo, you know, you can get really like you can just ruin a guitar sound by taking out or an o- <laughs> yeah, overhead sure. overhead mics or yeah. a, a huge one, room mics. Definitely, you can take out all definitely. the character. And yeah. at the end of the the mix, you go, why the fuck does everything sound so wimpy or like <laughs> yeah, just definitely. like weird? Yeah, it's, for sure. These yeah. days, uh, what I love about broad stroke, which I've also been trying to get more into, is I've been kind of, and this is not that scientific, even though I often am quite scientific with my thinking, is I like the idea where if you use less steps to get to your final goal, things like phase and stuff will probably be a lot stronger as well. Like, I was definitely also guilty of the back in the day, like my overheads would have like five notches where I'm like, yeah, this frequency is not allowed. Yeah. 
And uh, but I think that those things add up, and the phase just gets weirder and weirder, or whatever. And maybe that's the sound you're going for. But um, yeah, I think broad strokes is good, and um, and also ideally some of those things you've sorted out before you go to mix. Like if there was something that's vitally wrong, <laughs> you clean it up while you record. And uh, mm-hmm. the other thing, just going back to vocals, I was thinking that I didn't appreciate at the start was. Yeah, definitely like uh, the fine out detail of like breaths and stuff and and really making it sound how you want it to sound in terms of, mm. yeah, like I like to chop up the breaths and have certain yeah. breaths in and out or turn the volume up and down. Sibilance as well is really hard. Someone I really like once put it that, uh, you know, like great vocal mixes have, have their sibilance is actually what they nail because it's so hard mm. to get a forward Crazy, sort yeah. of like bright vocal that you like and then not just become like but yep. anyway, <laughs> yep. yeah, man, no, it's so true. It's so true. Attention detail is crucial, but in, in, not in, not in like a ridiculous way. Like, yeah, yeah like everything, yeah, not everything, in a solo stem way. Yeah. Yeah. Everything matters, but sometimes those little things that you leave in are what make the song. Yeah, it's really sure. hard. It's a hard line to toe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about like things that you've kind of, uh, you know, added to your toolkit over time that have made your workflow in mixing faster? Oh yeah. That's a good question. Um, well, I do love that Pro Tools has folders now. <clears throat> Didn't have folders for so long. That was mm. really good. Uh, and mm. also, uh, which, cause Pro Tools has like the different ranks and I'm not exactly sure how it works, but, uh, they, I think it's maybe all of them have volume trim now, which is awesome. I love that. Mm. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, other workflowy things. Uh, it's good to, you know, commit your edits, like make sure you do begin a mix, try and have all the edits done and committed and just not be looking at like chopped up drums and stuff like that. I think that's okay. valuable. I think also uh, doing a lot of experimenting and learning what you'd like on your mix bus and maybe instrument groups and stuff makes a big difference. Like, that's a little tricky for me to give that recommendation in that I think if you don't know what you're doing, it's very easy to over-process the overall mix or whatever you're doing. But once you do have those tools that you know that you love or they do exactly the job you want, that's helps so much. Like I find <clears throat> I generally try and mix with all my presets, like we said before, but I avoid putting too much on the mix bus early on. Mm-hmm. But I just sort of know that once I'm finishing up, once I start to turn them on and dial those in a bit more, like, it just automatically sounds more finished. Mm-hmm. So that really helps. And it's good. And, you know, sometimes if I'm in a rush, I do start with more of that stuff turned on. So I'm sort of like, yeah, more compressors, more tape, whatever stuff. Um, and so, yeah. And then, you know, like there are cool guys like Chad Blake, you know, <laughs> he does his like mix with the masters things and he's just got like 20 plugins turned on by default. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's mad because if he knows what his chain is and he knows what it all does, like, yeah, you'll hear if a certain thing is doing the wrong thing or whatever. So I I give that advice with some asterisks, (laughs) but I think that that speeds thing up as well. And especially getting your sound dialed in if you. Yeah. I I, I was watching a, uh, just a quick little YouTube video with Andrew Sheps on um, the masters yesterday. And he had a, an EQ on the mix bus that he, like likes to use in all of his mixes and his his explanation was like if you know that that's how you want the mix to sound at the end um why wouldn't you have it on at the you start and i was on. like that's interesting because yeah I'm, I'm similar to you in the sense that i won't start with anything except a limiter on the mix bus um and you know all of the kind of creative or even technical things that I add to my mix bus at the end are purely for like vibe. And I would, I haven't necessarily tried it, so I could be wrong here, but I would find that mixing into like a compressor that's got, you know, crazy settings on it. I'm like, wouldn't that, you know, be harder to do from, I think it would definitely sort of, it sort of traps you in that world Mm. to begin with. And and I think that's where you got to decide, like, am I happy to be trapped in my usual, box or and so that's definitely where i lean away from that normally because i'm like no i need my options to go crazy (laughs) and turn something up way too loud and it not just instantly get squished or whatever but you know especially with those big dudes and i think i'm sure if if your workload starts getting really big you know speed is also a valuable thing to your clients and so like we were just saying it's something to pick up your mix 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's um let's get nerdy then and and, okay. and segue into your favorite uh, pieces of gear. Hell yeah! Um, do you, do you use like heaps of hardware when you're recording? Yeah, so when uh, at our studio, Sunset Pig in Collingwood, we got some nice bits of kit. Like we got the um, we got the API like four channel mic pre one, whatever that's called. I forget all the yeah. names of all the things. Yeah. Uh, we got the Sabatron pre's as well, which are pretty cool. Um, we've got the uh, Avalon seven three seven. Seven three seven. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I yep. really like that. Mm-hmm. We have the Distressor as well. Um, they're sort of the highlights of our rack. I'm just trying to imagine it right now. Um, yep. and so yeah, I love all that. I, yep. um, I love 57s. What about microphones? I yeah. love 57s. Yeah, awesome. I think never look past the 57. I remember vividly a couple of good sessions at Sing Sing. So again, when I was assisting and yeah, that's a mic locker that is like, you know, elite. There's every <laughs> mic you could think of and want is there. And they have modern, beautiful, like the TG mics and stuff. But so many times, like on a you know very big budget production, the producers still go on fifty seven on a Fender amp. <laughs> like they're yeah, not gonna, man. it ain't broke, so don't fix it kind of approach. Yeah. So I really like fifty sevens, and I like. I think I would say to any producer, it's very useful to have a mic that you just know what it's going to sound like. It's such a good, like I will yeah. almost always have a fifty seven somewhere in a guitar mm-hmm. setup. Yeah. Um, oh, we have a TLM. 170 whatever it is that little Neumann it's actually a bit of a gun I, I kind of like that I used to We've not got the like 103 it. here yeah yeah I like those yeah, and you know yeah you know, they they got a flavor and it's good when you got a flavor um, very pristine and and high hi-fi sounding the, the definitely TLM definitely 103 yeah yeah which I like um trying to think of what else I normally go for I mean those are sort of the big ones oh sm7 yep. is kind of pretty yep. hard to beat yeah a lot of things yep. What software stuff do you use? Pro Tools. What is it about Pro Tools um, that? What's the reason for using Pro Tools? Well, I just you know I have put so many hours into Pro Tools now, and I know like it's, I think yeah. it's a little bit cool at the moment to not like Pro Tools, but <laughs> I have just put so many hours in. I love it. It's very, it's very. It's funny people say it always crashes, and and that is kind of true sometimes. But I also think it's got its own stability to it that I like and um and I just know how to run it so well and the shortcuts and the macros I've got to I want really want to get into Soundflow. I don't know if any of your people have been talking about that that's that like newish wow. program it's pretty cool my friend Luke uh not Luca well Luke would use as well but Tristan uh that you can basically tell this program to do any chain of commands that the Pro Tools can yes. do yes and then you yeah. and you macro and you know stream I think it's Streamlabs like which of those controllers that have yeah. like fifteen yeah. buttons then you map it on there so you could well he made one my friend uh, Tristan made one where all the took all the UAD hardware versions of the plugins and yep. automatically copied the settings and replaced them with the native UAD through a whole session so he has wow. a button that can just do that so if someone sends him something to mix. And he wants to convert it all to native. He just clicks that button. It's good. Oh, you know, it takes a minute. Unreal. So that's, I want to get into that world. That's pretty cool. And um, that's crazy. But, you know, I just love, uh, I actually love Pro Tools. I don't know. I, <laughs> even though I think it's a bit uncool to like it these days, I do also have the Avid Mixer Fader things. Those yeah. are really useful. I love, I'm sure you can do all of this with the other programs, but, um, you know, it's just yeah, yeah. solid for me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about some of your favorite plugins uh, that you that you can't live without, or that you find yourself using in every session. Well, I was actually just uh, thinking about today the mix I just finished. I think I didn't use Sound Toys Decapitator at all on an entire mix for probably the first time in a long time. <laughs> I was just like sitting, sitting uh, at home after I was like, oh man, I don't think I turned on decaps there. But, uh, you know, the Sound Toy stuff is very, very, very functional and useful, but it's not very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Baby Audio is a really cool company. If people haven't heard of them, they got some interesting yep. plugins. Uh, is that? Yeah, TAIP, that plugin's cool. That yep. plugin's really cool. It's got some weird mm-hmm. sounds. I'm um, just trying to think what else I like. I do like, I think, um, I think, I think the company's Pulsar, P-U-L-S-A-R. Mm-hmm. They've got the Echo Rec, like, delay. That 
is like that's the first ever time a software delay. I was like, oh, I love like I actually just love this completely. It's always yeah. noisy, which is really annoying. So I always put the fab filter gate afterwards. But yeah. that like it's hard. I think it's impossible to make that delay sound bad. That delay is really good. Mm. I yeah. like the MU they have, which is like the um, whatever compressor copier. Um, yeah. I do use some of the UAD stuff. That's all pretty classic. Uh, just trying to think of some of the more freaky plugins. I do really like RC20, which I think everyone knows about. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. Um, there's also Ab- Ab- Abhorrent DSP, which they've got um, their cassette thing, which I can't remember what it's called now, but it's pretty cool. Um, I use all the FabFilter stuff. FabFilter stuff's really good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more freaky plugins, but. Uh, I don't remember what they are now. <laughs> Do you have uh, uh, favorite like EQ, um, you know, emulations that you go to or anything like that? I find that I often, I can always have FabFilter Pro Q, blah, blah, blah. That's always the, the non-flashy one. Yeah. And then I actually find I kind of shuffle through a different one. So at the moment I'm using the UID pull tech thing just because. Yeah. On that scene, and actually, yep. they did the Hitsville EQ, which is I like ones where they do models of things I, I don't know that well, and so I don't overthink it. I'm just like, oh, what does this do? Yeah, uh, but the Pull Tech one's pretty cool. Um, uh, I like when companies do the uh, API. Is it the 560 that is the graphic EQ version? Yep. That's really fun. I just like yep. anything where it's just like, Bruh! and you just sort of yeah. like. I love the color EQs to not be too. Um, specific it's just kind of like like we were saying yeah. broad, broad well, the, the funny thing about the 560 is it's quite tame when you use it for like you know less than six or nine decibels but as soon as you move it right to the edge it's just like bang <laughs> like yeah and heart, it's awesome. like, and, just so much and i do feel uh it's got a nice color to it and and you can hear you can always hear the difference which i appreciate and that's another thing i do also like to do is like with the color eqs intentionally use different ones on different instrument groups or whatever I'm looking for um, yeah. separation from like you probably would if you were really using them in a real studio mm-hmm. you'd only have one set and you'd put that on the guitars or whatever um, yeah that's probably EQs compressors uh, I've had the empirical labs arouser which was a pretty weird mm-hmm. plugin because it's yeah. sort of their official distressor except for it's not and that plugin's very, very easy to use. I'd recommend that for beginners because I feel like that's another one that's really hard to make it sound bad. And they just updated it with a couple of extra new flavors. And it has a dedicated saturation dial, which is really fun. Yeah. Like if yep. you want that pretty classic, um, you know, snare drum through a distressor sound, they've got the pummel kick snare bus preset. And then you just put the saturation of taste and it just gives it the yeah, kind of sound. So that's thuddy. so quick. Uh, and also the the vocal or the way it treats a vocal is very quick and functional as well. Um, I actually this is another company that's sort of cool to not like, but Waves. I mm. actually quite like they did the R one two four, which is like a sort of Altec ish Abbey Road yeah, thing. Yep, yep. That yep. one has like they gave mm. it this like super comp mode or something, and the red light turns on. That I literally only use on that mode, and that's insanely aggressive. <laughs> so it's not yeah, yeah. like your classic like vintage what you'd expect from an old Altec. It's like this weird, modern, hyper-aggressive thing. So I, yep. that's the one that I use a lot because I just know if I want something to be upfront the entire time it exists, <laughs> it'll mm-hmm. do that. Another one that's really cool, and this is kind of stretching your question, but uh, the isotope um, neutron stuff is very interesting. And I yep. like really like the exciter in that and the transient yep. designer. And actually the compressors in that are kind of not that exciting. But what I, I kind of use that, and I'm thinking, well, definitely thinking vibe when I use that. And it has uh, mm. the weird track assistant mode where you can tell it what it is and then it tries yeah, well, to literally, I just picked that up for Black yeah, Friday specials and um, I'm trying it on a couple of mixes that, I, that I've used. And it's, it is, it's weird because, like, you know, you put in the sample that you want the, the snare to sound like or whatever. And I feel like I'm yet to f- kind of see it actually sound like it. And I know it's hard because it's, it's basing it on a, a single sample and yeah. it's trying to make a live drum sound into that sound. So it, it, I, I can't imagine how hard it would be to create that actual software, yeah. but, but, but it's, I do. It, it is fun. It's fun. It's like, it's like the, I wouldn't normally go for this snare sound, but let, you know, it's sounding cool. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. 
I love plugins like the TAIP one as well, where they got just a bit of weird programming going on. And mm. but definitely the Neutron, it, it'll throw curveballs at you, which can be really good. Like if you're, mm. like I feel like especially um, if I'm mixing something I didn't record and I'm like, oh, this doesn't have much vibe, <laughs> it'll mm. just like be like, ah, here's a crazy idea. Yeah. And then you go from there. And I often mm. find that I turn off half of the things it does. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. the things that it yeah. nails, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And, uh, but yeah, the, the only thing with Neutron is sometimes I feel like the phase is a little suspicious, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's doing so many things. I can't imagine yeah. like what it's actually doing to the- For just, sure. Which is it's like it's one signal going through all of these different DSPs. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has to be doing something On the other side, it's like, oh. <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, uh, this is this has been awesome, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining me. Before we uh, finish mm-hmm. up, though, um, if you've checked out a couple of the podcasts, you might have seen that I like to ask um, the same question at the end of all of the podcasts: is what uh, you know pieces of advice do you have? First of all, for engineers and producers, and then I want to know what advice you might have for artists. Okay, cool. Um, for engineers and producers, what I usually say, especially if they're like earlier on in their career, I personally found it very, very useful to have any sort of studio set up if you share with a couple of friends or whatever that isn't in your house. Like I think for me, when I started doing that and like you started having to pay some rent, so you sort of had overheads in your business, it, for mm-hmm. me, that was valuable. I feel like that really forced me to, um, yeah, try and get more work in it's just a good motivator and a good like um you know it's the first baby steps toward becoming more professional Mm -hmm. um i think for people that are more established if i even have the authority to say this uh, i think definitely finding like uh trying to find artists that you are going to gel with and just trying to make sure that relationship is good like you said earlier on about when you get that flow state a lot of it is trust and i think when I haven't loved working with an artist is when they don't back you in. So they don't, you know, they don't trust you. <laughs> they don't think that you're going to make a great idea. That's just going to be really counterintuitive to everyone's goals. So trying to achieve that is good. Mm-hmm. Um, for artists, I mean, there's the cliches. It's always good to rehearse. It's always good to demo well. Um, maybe a more, this just crossed my mind, is a little bit savage, but I think it's worth considering if the people in your band, like th- something that I just see a lot is maybe just trying early on, and there's good uh, websites for this, address sort of like the goals of the band and sort of have like even like finances, stuff like that. Like mm. try and zero that in so that, you know, not to be too harsh, but I do think sometimes you can have in a band someone who's just not as committed basically. Mm. And yeah. it can yeah. really slow a band down a lot, like heaps. Um, even if it's something simple like they don't want to put money in, that's going to make the budget harder. Or if they're just not putting the effort in, they're not practicing or they're not um, as as available as you've agreed to be or whatever. So I think if you're trying to do a band band, it's really worth making sure that everyone's on the same page and everyone's equally committed. And also, you know, it just doesn't have to be um, vicious, but just have that agreed so that there's easy outs as well. If someone's like too busy or whatever. Mm. they should be able to and sometimes people just leave temporarily they even come back after they finish mm. uni or whatever's taking their time great point. um so i'd say all that and um yeah i think that's pretty good maybe for nah, yeah nah, beautiful i love it <laughs> i think um it, it is it is great like communication is something that i harp on about non-stop um but you know, if you can't have a, a two-way communication um, that is honest and sometimes you have to have difficult conversations, um, you, you're not you're just not going to get as far with anyone as, mm. as you will as if you mm, have that's that. That's true. And, and a band is a really great uh, example of that. If, if someone's just not being honest or, or, you know, I don't have time to do this, all you're going to do is hold the rest of the band members back. So it's it's so, so crucial that you have that two-way communication. So thanks for yeah. bringing that up. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. Well, any uh, last words uh, before we start to wrap up? Uh, not really. Just thanks for having me once again. And I uh, hope everyone has a lovely Christmas. <laughs> That's it, man. Thank you for joining us. Where can people find you online? Uh, okay. Or, well, and in person. <laughs> well, in person, yeah. You know, I'm I'm in Collingwood, uh, uh, and I'm you know at gigs sometimes, playing gigs. Uh, I play with Josh Cashman. He's sort of like a, a sort of a 
singer, poppy singerish guy. And then sometimes Ryan Meeking, he's overseas at the moment though. So yeah. And then online, I've actually pretty much only got Instagram socials wise at the moment, which is Sam H Swain, S W A I N. And then I have a website, which is samswain.com, which, you know, that's pretty interesting. (laughs) Beautiful, man. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you again uh, for joining us today. Uh, It's been awesome. awesome. Thank Um, you very much for having me. You're welcome. And to everyone that has stuck around till the end, thank you so much. Thanks uh, for always checking in and watching us. And uh, what would really help me and the podcast out is if you could share this with a friend, whether that's directly or on your socials or anything like that, spreading the word on this podcast really helps us get this information out to as many people as possible. And yeah, make sure you hit follow and subscribe, those classic things that everyone says on YouTube and everywhere else. But um, that'll just help you stay up to date with any new releases that we have, any new podcasts, all the amazing guests that we have on here. And yeah, thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on What's That Sound Podcast. Thanks for listening to What's That Sound. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your podcast platform to stay up to date with each new episode. We'll catch you next time.